Hello and welcome to the Wheel of Crime podcast. This podcast is done by two ladies who play games, mumble profanities, and laugh way too often. Also, this podcast does cover topics of sensitive nature, and as such, listener discretion is advised. to the wheel of crime podcast hello my name is jen and my name is emily welcome back to another week and boy (laughs) has it been a week (laughs) it's been such a week emily and i were talking before we started recording and pretty much just venting for like an hour Mm -hmm. about how dramatic our weeks have been which Mm. no don't know if i love that for us but uh i guess it is what it is Yes, and apparently it's not just us either. My everyone I've talked to seems to be going through <laughs> quite the dramatic week. It's it's all it's felt like a full so moon weird. every day. Does that kind of make sense? It makes sense. I I feel that on a spiritual level. Yes, uh, spiritual. <laughs> full moon of my heart every week. The full moon of my heart. <laughs> oh yes, exactly. But is there anything that you would like to share from your last week that you did that was interesting? Oh, oh boy, man. Um, this last week, hey, um, I, I dealt with this <laughs> more insurance bullshit. Um, I shot a music video. I, you know, hated my life thoroughly. Mm. I, um, worked and I, I don't, I shouldn't say that. <laughs> I was going to say something and then I was like, no, I probably shouldn't just in case. That's fine. Well, I can tell you something interesting about my week that I actually haven't shared with you yet. Ooh, do tell. Yes. So I was supposed to go hiking this last weekend on the Sunday and we were- right. We were supposed to go to this trail, like, uh, basically out by Nordeg, where if you take this trail, it leads you up to an, aban- an abandoned fire post, I guess. Right. Where, like, uh, they would have used to have people stationed there to a fire watch. That's what it's called. It would take you up to an abandoned fire watch, which I thought would be really cool. So basically, we drove out there. There wasn't anybody in the parking lot, so we were the only people who pulled in. And it's like, okay, that's fine. And we start on the trail. And we get about 20 minutes up the trail when all of a sudden we were, like, walking and we weren't really talking. And I noticed right away that the sounds of, like, the birds and the squirrels and, like, all the other little creatures that are in a forest normally weren't making any noise anymore like they were hmm. before and then all of a sudden they stopped and I was like hmm and then I Weird. stopped yeah and I stopped in the path because I was like are do like is there something else that I haven't heard yet so I was like hey let's just stop for a second and so we stopped there and it was like just up the trail but like kind of in the bushes you couldn't see anything but there was the sound coming from the bushes so it's very weird. So what it sounded like 
was, uh, you know when you press a button on a walkie-talkie and there's kind of like a bzzz click sound? Yeah. It sounded like that, followed by a noise that was like a low moan. Like, it kind of sounded like a man. So we stopped. Oh. Yeah, so we stopped and both of us were like, hello? <laughs> Because it sounded like a person. So, and like, yeah. it sounded like a walkie-talkie. Well, I just touched my microphone. Sorry, guys. But it sounded like a walkie-talkie and a man or like somebody who was moaning and potentially injured. So we were like, hello? And you could hear the bzz, click sound again, followed by the moan. Okay, so the moan kind of sounded like a... Mm. So it was a zombie. That is what it sounded like. Yeah. Well, like, that's the thing. (laughs) It didn't sound like an animal, but at that point, like, but at that point, we'd heard the same sound twice. So we looked at each other, and neither of us had brought, like, the normal bear stuff with us, because, like, like, the area we were in was bear country, but there's usually enough people in the area that it's not, like, they come very close to the path. But we were the only people out there that day. So we looked at each other and we're like, well, just in case, we should probably not keep going because on the off chance it is a bear, like, you don't want to be caught in a situation where you're two versus wanting a bear, right? Yeah. So we went back and then on the drive home, we were looking up different animal sounds and basically there was nothing that sounded like what we had heard. Um, the closest thing was maybe the sound of, like, a young moose, like, a young male moose. But the Mm -hmm. only thing is, is that there wouldn't have been a bzzz, click, sound before the moose call. It was probably somebody who was injured. We tried, we were, like, yelling out, and it was a very, like, like... We called out to see if there was anybody there. We were the only people in the parking lot. Like, there shouldn't have been anybody else out there. Weird. I know. Well, because we did think it was a person, but nobody answered when we were calling. And in that situation where you don't know if it's an animal or a person, do you really want to go into the bushes with no weapons? No. (laughs) (laughs) Right. But yeah, so that was my, my Sunday adventure. That's spooky. It was awful actually uh i love hiking and everything but i I think i'm gonna hold back for a little while yeah just just a, a hot minute just a hot minute but should we spin the wheel of questions we should yes okay <laughs> <laughs> what is your favorite farm animal my favorite farm animal Mm-hmm. Like on a normal farm? Or on like any farm. On any farm. I like goats. <laughs> Why? I don't know. Uh, they've got spooky eyes and they run into things a lot and I feel like I identify with that. Goats are pretty cool. <laughs> Not gonna lie. Sorry, my brain is a literal mush and I feel like I have 30 things going on at once. So I'm gonna try real hard to get through this. <laughs> That is fine. My favorite farm animal is chickens, I think. Oh, your favorite animal, period, has been chickens. 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 (laughs) Forever. I can't talk anymore. 
I mean, I used to be a big fan of the llama, and I would say, like, llamas are still pretty cool, and I know they're on farms, so it's, like, it's a decent contender, you know? Mm. Yes. You know? Yeah, I feel that. I don't know. I feel like I do really like goats. Um, I don't really love geese. Um, but geese are so cute. They're are we going to count barn cats as farm animals? Because those are pretty cool, too. <laughs> um, that's like a a hard maybe. <laughs> I'll take it. That's my role in the podcast. Soft no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, let's spin again. Okay, let's spin again. If you were going to go into business with your brother... What would you do? My brother? Yeah. Do what kind of what, business? Well, which one? I've got three of them. Anyone. Anyone. Pick, one. pick, pick a brother. Pick a business. Pick a brother. Pick a business. Mix and match. I don't care. We're going. This is the Wild West of questions. Um... <laughs> Um, you know what? I would go into business with Aiden and it would be one of those places where you, um, build up. It's like those demolishing rooms or whatever it is where you like pay money and you go into a room and you've got like a suit and a baseball bat and you just destroy everything. That would be cool. I would do that with Aiden because I feel like not only would I enjoy it, but he would also really enjoy that. Yeah. No, I feel like that'd be sweet. And it would make a lot of sense for the, the place in which we live that I will not speak of. <laughs> the the unnamed city. The unnamed that city. That is mid-size. Lo- city location that is mid-size that we are both from. Our places of origin. Uh, our place of origin. <laughs> our place of origin in which I thankfully no longer live. Although I do miss you. Hmm? I said, uh, thankfully, I no longer live there, although I do miss you. Okay, I missed the last part, and also I didn't want to hear that <laughs> twice, so thank you. <laughs> you actually did hear it. You were just like, say it again, please. I just heard I miss blank, and I was like, what is it mean? <laughs> <sighs> My brain is also fried today. But no, what about you? Because you only have one brother, so what would your choice be? Uh, for me and my brother, hmm. You know would it be what? a pranking studio where you guys have to come up with schemes? People pay you guys to prank people. Oh, we could be like that Ash and Kutcher show, Gotcha or whatever. <laughs> yeah, that's the one. I was thinking like <laughs> the, the Pranking Brothers or whatever it was, that like TV show on, I think, just Canadian television or something. I, I can't remember anything. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, that, that seems pretty legit. Um, I, I think that's a good plan. I mean, I hadn't really thought about it, but you know what? It seems like a solid business. I'm going to start drawing up the plans real quick. Um, and we'll get, <laughs> we'll just get that started. Oh my God. It would be like an engineering firm where like people pay for drawings, but they would pay you guys for drawings of pranks <laughs> to pull. <laughs> you put the 
balloon there, and then you pop it with the dart, and it splashes them. It's like an AutoCAD, like, drawn-up thing <laughs> on, like, b- like pranks that people can buy. Yeah. Yikes. I, I have... I, I, don't e- I don't even know. I am so here for it. I am also very here for it. I feel like it's a great idea. And thank you for making me a future millionaire. Hey, no problem. Well, I was trying to think when I was thinking of stuff to do on what would make sense for you, too. Because I was like, well, Jenny is Phil, so that makes sense. But I've got three brothers, and they both have very diverse interests. They definitely do. I would be interested to know what your business plan with your youngest brother would be. Because I, I feel probably... like that would be the most, that'd be the most wacky one. It would have to be something video game related. Mm. Either that or Naruto See? related. Those are my only two <laughs> options. He'd be like, if it's not one of those, I'm out. <laughs> yeah. We could get uh, fucked. Yeah, I don't even know. Whereas my other brother really likes to work on cars. So it's either demolishing things, cars, or video games. I feel like I made a good I choice. Mean, yeah. I, th- I think you did, too. I would legitimately use your services, especially after this week. Same. Honestly, I cannot lie. <laughs> I cannot lie. I would do the same. You cannot. <laughs> I cannot. All right, let's spin again. Sweet. All right, what is our third question? So, hypothetical situation. You're in jail for, <sighs> you know... Drinking straight from the ice cap machine at Tim Hortons. It seems reasonable, yes. Um. <laughs> okay. So you're in jail, and you know you're and you're it. sentenced to life. <laughs> you're you're sentenced to life. So what are you gonna do with your time? Like a lot of people in jail, like they are like, oh, I'm gonna get fit, or I'm gonna read a lot of books, or you know, like what would you do? Um, I would probably end up reading a lot of books just because I know that that's something I used to be really interested in, especially when I was a kid and didn't have a cell phone. So I would Mm -hmm. probably end up just going back to that. But I don't know, maybe I would become like an artist or something. A songwriter. Make millions from my place in prison. A jailbird songbird. (gasps) Jailhouse rock? (gasps) <gasps> oh, oh no but what about you um you know what i would just get so ripped that i could just like tear the guards in half like a phone book that's my goal <laughs> i'm not gonna lie i almost wish you would get arrested just to see that happen because obviously we would still be best friends and be probably in prison together <laughs> But, like, the image you of you being... Me? Yeah! Well, the image of you being outrageously beefy is amazing. <laughs> you don't even understand. That would be amazing. My my arms would finally match my thighs. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Or, like, it would be, like, in those cartoons... Oop, I keep punching my microphone. But it would be, like, in those cartoons when you see, like, somebody really strong go through, like, a doorway and they just, like, knock out the sides of it with their shoulders and they would be like, Are you? That would be you. I think it would be pretty epic. I'm not gonna lie. I mean, now Goals. I'm like, should I just do that just because? Honestly? You know? 
pre-jail? Should, should we become like fit besties? Oh my god, we so Festies? cute. Festies? Festies? You're my festy girl. Oh, you're my festie. <laughs> I am deceased. Okay, one more question. Are you ready? <laughs> yes. <laughs> that was the longest cackle. Okay, what's this last question? If you were going to have a career in the science field, what would you want to do? I don't know anything about science. What are my options? <laughs> I mean, personally, I would be like one of those like cute lab technicians. And I'd be like, you know, with like little test tubes or some. I don't know anything about science either. You don't either. Really know anything about science either. <laughs> I want test tubes in a lab hall. I think that's, that's microbiology. <laughs> that's all you do with science, right? I'm a lab technician. <laughs> I'm a lab tech who studies the pattern migration of whales in Antarctica. Is that science? <laughs> I mean, it could be. Anything. It could be. <laughs> I'd it invent it. Uh, I don't. <laughs> I don't have an answer. Um, I don't know. I want to be one of those scientists. Gun to your like, head, huh? Gun to your head. Choose a career in science, or I'll kill you. <laughs> oh, um, no! I want to be one of those science people who they send out to like a field camp to do stuff. I don't know what those jobs are. Mm. Where they, like, do studies on, like, say, like, right. the organisms in Antarctica or something. What if, what if you were, like, one of those... <gasps> right, uh, I want to be a dinosaur scientist. Yeah, that would be cool. But what if you were one of those scientists who, like, studied wildfires or something, and then you could go to that firewatch station... Yeah, with a pair of binoculars and a big stick to see if I could find whatever it was... <laughs> Watch it be yeah. a person. I don't think it was a person. But, like, that would be so sad. Yeah, it would be sad. Then I like, won't lie to you, though. My I last don't... hope left. Yep, and it's just us being like, let's get out of here. <laughs> it's a, oh my god. I made a joke while we were on our way back, because I was just reading some creepypastas. Uh, I made a joke that maybe we heard Siren Head in the bushes. And so ever since we came back, I was like, oh, yeah, we ran into Siren Head over the weekend. If you don't know what that is, I recommend searching it up because it is a very casual ripoff of Slender Man. Oh. Yes. I have not heard of it, but maybe I won't read about it. So you can tell me one week when you don't feel like talking about crime again, which is every week. Well, see, it'll be the the crime will be me (laughs) leaving a man in the woods. (laughs) Oh no, that's the saddest crime. This is the saddest crime. It's also the most unlikely crime. This is true. Okay, uh, what is our story today, Jen? <laughs> oh, you want to hear my story? <laughs> I do. I feel like um, it's a pair of brothers who uh, own a farm and there's science involved. Yes, there is science involved. I can confirm that data at the moment. Um, my hypothesis <laughs> is unclear. Where's your still. lab coat? I don't see a lab coat. <laughs> Fuck, I never have my lab what coat. What about your beakers? You know you know that lab technicians Fuck. have beakers. 
I'm so unprepared. Oh, I'm so embarrassed. Nightmare. God. Oh, God. I'm such a dumbass. Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry. Please tell your story. So, today, we're going to talk about a man. A man? Oh, a male a man. specimen. Not a man. Ugh, fucking men. <laughs> <laughs> His name is Robert William Picton, and he was born on October 24th, 1949, back in ye old days. Yeah, the 40s. I, I know nothing <laughs> about them. It's almost like I wasn't there. Right? I was not, not as even cool a as thought. the 20s. I was not even a thought in the 40s, and now we're back in the 20s. Who knows if your parents were even thoughts? Uh, mine? I don't think so. <laughs> uh-uh. Nope. Uh, but anyways. Yeah. Fucking wild. Right? If only I had a time machine. If, if only. Except for I wouldn't <laughs> go to that time. No. I mean, the 20s sound way cooler. But if I'm going to travel, probably the 80s. I don't know. See what happens. Maybe the future to a time when there's not corona. I could go to the future, get the cure, bring it back, and that could be my science career. Oh, I, I figured was, it out. I was just thinking I would go back to 2016. <laughs> just, and just... <laughs> and just relive it. And just live. <laughs> <laughs> Just just do the exact same thing over again. Yep, I just before Corona, I would just go back to 2016. And I tell everybody, and every hey time, guys, did you know there's gonna be a big virus in 2020? And they're gonna be like, no. And then it'd be 2020 again. And then I just go back to 2016. That's, that's what I was gonna say. Just you know, as soon as it's like the clock strikes midnight on to twenty seventeen, just fucking rewind that shit again. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> Let's go back. <laughs> no, thank you. I'll pass on the rest of it. <laughs> Pretty much. Oh God, that's so funny. I I am so sorry. We've gotten on another tangent. <laughs> it's okay. Back to our boy Robert here. Yes. So. He had a brother, <laughs> as you predicted. Yes, okay, that sounds Gucci. All right. His brother's name is David. David? Which is scandalous. How dare <laughs> I don't know why. Men. Fucking David. David. Um, so together, they owned a farm in Port Coquitlam. Mm-hmm. I, that's so hard to say. Co- I'm from here. Is, Co- does that Co- sound right? Coquitlam. I know how to say it, kind of, but, like, I'm stupid, so it doesn't always come out right. I don't know science. I don't have my lab coat. I cannot pronounce. <laughs> I don't have my lab coat, so I can- nothing's right in the world. It's fine. It's not fine, but it's fine. <laughs> it's not 2016, therefore it's not fine. <laughs> True. <laughs> Anyways. Um, so... They were living in Port Coquitlam in BC, British Columbia, and for our American people, that is 17 miles east of Vancouver. So he's a Canadian boy. Most. Yeah, it is by Seattle. Yeah. 
Near-ish, well, near American peoples and that you were like, can, can, you were like Vancouver. <laughs> I just... <laughs> Vancouver. Don't even listen to me. I'm a disaster. <laughs> so, one of the farm's workers, who was named Bill Hiscock, called the farm a creepy looking place and described Robert as a pretty quiet guy whose sometimes bizarre behavior, despite no evidence of substance abuse, would draw attention. So So he's the local crazy guy. So he's the local weirdo. Mm. Him and his brother on their really creepy looking farm. (laughs) Great. We're off to a great start. Goals. (laughs) Goals. Truly. So the Picton brother. <laughs> I don't know if we're going to get through this. <laughs> we have to try. <laughs> the Picton brothers began to neglect the, the site's farming operations. They registered a nonprofit charity called the Piggy Palace Good Time Society what? with the Canadian government in 1966, claiming to organize, coordinate, and manage and operate social or special events, functions, dances, shows, and expositions on behalf of service organizations, sports organizations, and other worthy groups. The Piggy Palace. The Piggy Palace Good Times Society. Absolutely not. (laughs) If somebody invited me to something called the Piggy, what was it? The Piggy Palace Good Times Society. I'd be like, is this an orgy? <laughs> what? What? Is this illegal? <laughs> is this? Yeah. How is this illegal? Like, what? What happens there? <laughs> What's going on here? I'm, I don't trust are it. Are there pigs? Like, it doesn't make any no sense. Well, it's because they ran a pig farm. Of course. That uh, that's why it's the Piggy Palace. I was like, that isn't just like a fun nickname for one of them, is it? <laughs> oh God, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. So, its events included raves and wild parties featuring Vancouver sex workers and gatherings in uh, a converted slaughterhouse on the farm. These events attracted as many as two thousand people. Members of the Hell's Angels were known to frequent the farm. Like the Piggy Palace? The Piggy Palace. Oh, God. <laughs> you see, Hell's I just Angels thought, hanging I just out really at the Piggy Palace. I thought the Canadian government was going to look at that proposition for a name and be like, eh, I don't think so. Pass. We're already, like, being made fun of by Americans. We don't need another shit. <laughs> Literally. Oh, my goodness. I'm about to pass away. I'm already deceased. One of us needs to stay alive. No, both my feet are in the grave. It's over for me. (laughs) Oh, God. Um, On March 23rd, 1977, Robert Picton was charged with the attempted murder of a sex worker named Wendy Lynn Esther, whom he had stabbed several times during an altercation at the farm. Elster had informed police that Picton had handcuffed her, but she had escaped after suffering several lacertations. She told him that she had disarmed him and stabbed him with his weapon. Robert sought treatment at Eagle Ridge Hospital while Esther uh, recovered at the nearest emergency room. 
He was released on a $2,000 bond and the charge was dismissed in January 1988 or 1998. Sorry. Months later, the Pinktons or the Pictons were sued by Port Coquitlam officials for violating zoning ordinances, neglecting the agriculture for which it had been zoned, and having altered a large farm building on the land for the purpose of holding dances, concerts, and other recreations. The Pictons ignored the legal pressure and held a 1998 New Year's party after which they had faced, after which they were faced with an injunction banning future parties. The police were authorized to arrest and remove any person attending future events at the farm. The society's non-profit status was removed the following year for inability to procure financial statements, and it was subsequently disbanded. Ooh, I see. No more Peggy yes. Palace. No more Peggy Palace for Robert and David. Um, but over the course of three years, so uh bill hiscox the the disgruntled employee from earlier who says it's a creepy place to be Mm -hmm. uh noticed that women who visited the farm eventually went missing Uh uh-oh also (laughs) i do think i know this story i've i'm a little slow on the uptake today but i feel like i feel like i do know this story I feel like you probably do as well because it's one of those stories that I think everyone in like the BC and Alberta area know well. All right. Well, I won't uh, give any spoilers for you then. Please continue. (laughs) 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 Okay. Uh, (laughs) On February 6, 2002, police execute. executed a search warrant for illegal firearms at the property. David and Robert Picton were arrested and police obtained a second warrant using what they had seen on the property to search the farm as part of the BC Missing Women investigation. Personal items belonging to missing women were found at the farm, which was sealed off by members of the joint RCMP Vancouver Police Department Task Force. The following day, Picton was charged with weapon offenses, and both of the Pictons were later released. However, Robert Picton was kept under police surveillance. Mm-hmm. So, it's not looking great for our guy, Robert. No, I'm also, if this is what I'm thinking about, I don't think he... He is going to be leaving police suspicion anytime soon. <laughs> you would be correct in that assumption. All Hypothesis right. confirmed. All right. <laughs> so on February 22nd, Robert Picton was arrested and charged with two counts of first degree murder, murder. in the death <laughs> in the death of Serena Abbotsway and Mona Wilson. On April 2nd, three more charges were added for the murders of Jacqueline McDonald, Diane Rock, and Heather Bottomley. A sixth charge for the murder of Andrea Josbury was laid on April 9th, followed shortly by a seventh for Brenda Wolfe. On September 20th, four more charges were added for the slings of Georgina Pappen, Patricia Johnson, Helen Hallmark, and Jennifer Firminger. Four more charges for the murders of Heather... Sinock, 
Tanya Hollick, Sherry Irving, and Igna Hall were laid on October 3rd, bringing the total to 15 murder charges. That's insane. This was the largest investigation of any serial killer in Canadian history. On May 26, 2005, 12 more charges were laid against Picton for the killings of Sarah Ellis, Andrea Boharf, Deborah Lynn Jones, Maureen Frey, Tiffany Drew, Carrie Kosky, Sarah DeVries, Cynthia Phelps, Angelina Jardine, Wendy Crawford, Diane Melnick, and Jane Doe, bringing the total number of first-degree murder charges to 27. Oh, good grief. Excavations continued through the farm on through November 2003. The cost of the investigation is estimated to been have been $70 million by the end of 2003. So then hang on. So you were saying that basically they started this investigation all because of that disgruntled employee? Or did somebody find something? So, okay. So the investigation started because the I think the employee kind of like tipped them off like... There's something weird going here. And because they were throwing these parties uh, for their piggy palace organization, but their land was not zoned for parties. Their land was zoned for agriculture because they owned right. a farm. Right. So the city was like, hey, guy, you can't do that. Like, this is farmland. You need a farm. You can't just let everything go to shit. We need farmland. So that's kind of what got them initially under police suspicion. And then they came and had a warrant to take weapons from him that he had illegally. And when they were there, they saw a bunch of shit. They're like, oh, God, this is something that's up here. Like the IDs and stuff you were saying. Okay. I was trying to make that connection because, like I said, I'm a little slow on the uptake today. So, So, yeah. So then they had excavating then. So, they started excavating, or, like, they started finding um, belongings from missing women in the area, from the Vancouver area and from the city. And so, they, I think at this point, are just trying to find more evidence of those women to see if they're there and build their murder case. Because they're like, we have a bunch of shit from these women. They must be here or have been here. Right. Okay. That makes more sense. I'm trying to like, that's what I mean is like, I know you said a lot of these things, but my like pea brain is trying to like figure out the timeline. <laughs> Connect to <laughs> the dots. Yes. But I, I think I'm up to date now. I think we're good. Gotcha. So yeah, they spent $70 million just excavating the area, trying to find the the stuff from these missing women, which is a big yikes. Oh, that's a lot of money. Yeah, that is a lot, a lot of money. So, um, as of 2015, the property is fenced off under lien by the crown, crown in right of British Columbia. In the meantime, all of the buildings on the property, except a small barn, has been demolished. Forensic analysis provided difficult because the bodies may have been left to decompose or been eaten by insects and pigs on the farm. Okay, this is the one I was thinking about. I was like, I swear on my life... This has to be the one where the guy fed prostitutes to pigs. This has to be the one, but I wasn't sure. <laughs> We're getting there. Okay. During the early days of the excavation or excavations, forensic anthropologists brought in heavy equipment, including two 50-foot flat conveyor belts and soil 
sifters to find traces of human remains. On March 10, 2004, the government revealed that Picton may have ground up human flesh and mixed it with pork that he sold to the public. Oh, no. Oh, no. Accidental cannibalism, too. No! The province's health authority later issued a warning. But this falls in line with what I was telling you about cannibals saying that human human flesh tastes like pig, and that's why it's called long pig. Yeah, I did tell you that, right? Or did I, was I just thinking yeah. about it? Okay. No, you definitely told me that. <laughs> okay, that's. I can't good. remember what episode. Uh, probably either. your cannibal crimes episode. Oh yeah, probably that one. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that does. Fall Anyways, uh, man. So another claim was made that he fed the bodies directly to his pigs. Mm-mm. I mean, I mean, as somebody with a lot of family in the farming community, it wouldn't be a shocking thing to do. Pigs will eat pretty much anything. They'll eat. Yeah. They'll try to eat you if you fall in the pen. But they're so cute. I mean, from afar, they're also really <laughs> gross. <laughs> But they're so cute. No, I love them all. pigs are cute. Any other kind of pig, like a livestock pig, not cute. They will eat, like, if, like a, if a bird goes into their pen and doesn't get out in time, they'll eat the bird. Oh, sad. Yeah, like, I'm not cute. Mm. Not a fan. Not cute. Okay, fine. Slightly less cute. But potbelly pigs, which are the ones that people keep as house pets, those are very cute. Yes, they are very, very cute. I like them a lot. Anyways, moving on. (laughs) Um, (laughs) A preliminary inquiry was held in 2003, the testimony from which was covered by a publication ban until 2010. At the inquiry, the fact was revealed that Picton had been charged with attempted murder in connection with the stabbing of sex worker Wendy Lynn Esther in 1977. Esther testified in the inquiry that after Picton had driven her to the poor Quilquitlam farm and had sex with her, he slapped a handcuff on her left hand and stabbed her in the abdomen. He stabbed, she stabbed Picton in self-defense. Later, both she and Picton were treated at the same hospital where staff used a key that they found in Picton's pocket to remove the handcuffs from the woman's wrist. Oh, God. Yikes. Oh, God. Imagine being in that hospital. You're like, um, the guy who murdered you, yeah, he's downstairs. I feel like hospitals see a lot of crazy shit, though. Like, yeah, that probably wasn't even the weirdest thing to have happened that day. Oh, my God, that's terrifying. Um, I have a I have family who uh, work in the hospital and just some of the stories you hear from uh, practicing nurses on like just stuff that people do like especially stuff that people shove up their butts for example is just ew it's uh it's a little gross but very interesting yes very interesting but also (laughs) horrifying yes i mean so the attempted murder charge against picton was stayed on january 27th 1998 because the woman had drug because the woman had drug addiction issues and the prosecutors believed her too unstable for her testimony to help s- secure a conviction. Mm. Which just makes me angry because right. they literally found the handcuffs 
like the key for the handcuffs in her in his fucking pocket like how could they not convict him i'm sorry but that's bullshit see and that's the whole thing too i do remember when this case came out that one of the things that people were very upset about was how because a lot of his victims were working as prostitutes or you know as people who exchanged those types of services that the police for a long time didn't want to take any of them seriously either because they would look at them as being people with drug problems who were, you know, you couldn't count on them or whatever else, like other excuses they came up with for not wanting to uh, listen to them, right? Right. Which is total BS because no matter if you're addicted to drugs or not, if someone tries to murder you, they should still go to jail. Yeah, I think that's probably a good rule to life. Good rule of thumb. (laughs) Somebody tries to kill another person, they should go to jail. Send them straight to jail. The end. Okay. (laughs) Okay. The clothes and rubber boots Picton had been wearing that evening were seized by police and left in an RCMP storage locker for more than seven years. Not until 2004 did lab testing show that the DNA of two missing women was on the items seized from Picton in 1997. And they were just sitting there, like, doing nothing? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep, just just chilling. Just hanging out. Just, just chilling. All right, that's nice. Hmm. <laughs> I hope I never go missing. Sick. Love that. Mm-hmm. Some solid work there, boys. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> In 1998, according to Vancouver Police Detective Constable Lormier Schenner, Schenner learned of a call made to police tip phone line stating that Picton should be investigated in the case of women's disappearances. According to Schenner's account, described at length in his 2015 book about the case, he struggled to attract sufficient police resources and attention to the case until the 2002 search of Picton's farm by the RCMP. In 1998, Canadian police had received a tip that Picton had a freezer filled with human flesh on his farm. Although they interviewed Picton, who denied killing the missing women and obtained his consent to search his farm, the police never conducted one. Oh, nice. What's the point of that? Yeah, let's just get a warrant to search this place and then never do it. Nah, never mind. We're good. We believe you. You're probably fine. Yeah, this random weirdo who's got other things going on. Yeah, you're fine. <laughs> the town's local creepy farm where parents are like, children, stay away. Pretty much. And they're like, no, I'm sure everything's fine. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything's fine. <laughs> He's good. He's a local hero. He uh, he runs Piggy's Palace. Did you know that? Yeah. Did you know he runs Piggy's Palace? <laughs> Great place. So much fun. So many hooks. Love to rave there on the weekends. Oh, God, yeah. What kind of music do you play at a Piggy Palace? <laughs> at a Piggy Palace rave? Yeah, I don't... I'd assume electronic music, but, like, this is also an old man, so, like, I don't even know. I have no idea. It's so weird. (laughs) It's up in the air. So, Picton's trial began on January 30th, 2006 in New Westminster, Canada, by the way, for our English people listening. Yeah. 
Pinkton pleaded not guilty to 27 charges of first-degree murder in the Supreme Court of British Columbia. The vor de phrase of the trial took most of the year to determine what evidence might be admitted before the jury. Reporters were not allowed to disclose any of the material presented in the arguments, and on March 2nd, one of the 27 counts was rejected by the Justice James Williams for lack of evidence. Hmm. On August 9th, Justice Williams served the charges, splitting them into group into one group of six counts and another group of 20 counts. The trial, which seems weird, but whatever, mm-hmm. the trial proceeded on the group of six counts the remaining 20 counts could have been heard in a separate trial but ultimately were stayed on august 4th 2010 because of the publication ban full details of the decision are not publicly available but the judges explained that trying all 26 charges at once would put unreasonable burden on the jury as the trial could last up to two years it would also had would have increased the chance for a mistrial and the judge added that the six counts he chose had materially different evidence from the other 20. Office of Inspector General Senior Investigator R.J. McDougald was (laughs) case agent for the investigation. The date of the jury trial for the first six counts was initially set to start January 8, 2007, but was later postponed until January 22nd. On that date, Picton faced first-degree murder charges in the deaths of Frey, Abbotsway, Pappen, Dosbury, Wolf, and Wilson. The media ban was lifted, and for the first time, Canadians heard of the details of what was found during the long investigations. Skulls cut in half with the hands and feet stuffed inside. The remains of one victim found stuffed in a garbage bag and her bloodstained clothes found in Picton's trailer. Part of another victim's jawbone and teeth found beside Picton's slaughterhouse and a twenty-two caliber revolver with an attached dildo containing both of his victims' DNA. Oh, God. In a videotaped recording played for the jury, Picton claimed to have attached the dildo to his weapon to his weapon as a makeshift silencer. That is so fucked up. Uh I'm just going to let you sit on that for a second, because I just threw a lot of information in your face. Just, that's a lot. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. There's It is a lot. (laughs) Well, that's insane for a lot of reasons, because not to say, like, normally when people kill, but, like... This guy's insane. He he's murdered enough people that he has genuinely nothing better to do with the bodies than like makeshift arts and crafts, and then not even pick up like after himself, Ew. I guess, or like you know, just like leaving clothes and body parts everywhere, and then using a dildo as a silencer. What? That, to me, screams <laughs> that there's something also very wrong with whatever his sexual psychology is, because, oh my god, that is bananagrams. Super bananagrams. I can't. My brain can't handle this right now. <laughs> yeah, so, um... As of February 20th, 2007, the following information has been presented to the court. 
During Picton's trial, lab staff testified about 80 unidentified DNA profiles, roughly half male and a half female, have been detected on evidence. The items police found inside Picton's trailer, a loaded 22 revolver with a dildo over the barrel and one round fired, boxes of .357 Magnum handgun ammunition, night vision goggles, two pairs of faux fur-lined handcuffs, a syringe with three millimeters of blue liquid inside, and Spanish fly aphrodisiac. What does that mean? Uh, so it's a substance that increases sexual desire, sexual pleasure, or sexual behavior. And that's blue fly juice? Yeah. Huh. Spanish fly. I don't know why it's called that, but that's what it is. So, um, a videotape of Picton's friend Scott Chubb saying Picton had told him a good way to kill a female heroin addict was to inject inject her with windshield washer fluid. A second tape was played for Picton in which an associate named Andrew Bellwood said Picton mentored, mentioned killing sex workers by handcuffing handcuffing and strangling them then bleeding mm. and gutting them before feeding them to pigs yeah, he's multiple levels of fucked up also injecting photos washer fluid wouldn't just kill people who are sex workers that would kill everyone as far as i know everyone <laughs> So they also found photos of contents of garbage uh, of a garbage can can be found in Picton's slaughterhouse, which held some right. remains of Mona Wilson. Uh. <sighs> which is sad. But in October 2007, a juror was excused of having made up her mind already that Picton was innocent. The ju- <laughs> She's like, he's innocent. <laughs> They're just like, it's fine. I don't you can know. go. I feel like he's probably not, um, (laughs) just a feeling, but all right. (laughs) It's a gut feeling. You know, us women, we have intuition about that sometimes. The trial judge questioned the juror, saying, It's reported to me you said from what you had seen you were certain Mr. Picton was innocent. There was no way he could have done this. The court system had arrested the wrong guy. The juror denied this completely, and Justice Williams ruled that she could remain on the jury since it had not been proven she'd made the statements. So, Justice James Williams suspended the jury deliberations on December 6, 2007, after he discovered an error in his charge to the jury. Earlier in the day, the jury submitted a written question to Justice James requesting clarification of his charge, asking, are we able to say yes, i.e. find Picton guilty if we infer the accused acted indirectly? So, on December 9th, 2007, the jury returned a verdict that Picton is not guilty on six counts of first-degree murder, but is guilty of six counts of second-degree murder. A second-degree murder conviction carries a punishment of a life sentence with no possibility of parole for a period between 10 to 25 years to be set by the trial judge. 
on December 11, 2007, after reading 18 victim impact statements, British Columbia Supreme Court Judge Justice James Williams sentenced Picton to life with no possibility of parole for 25 years, the maximum punishment for second-degree murder, and equal to the sentence which would have been imposed for a first-degree murder conviction. Mr. Picton Mr. Pickton's conduct was murderous and repeatedly so. I cannot know the details, but I know this. What happened to them was senseless and despicable, said Justice Williams in passing the sentence. You're telling me that a room full of people sat there and they're like, he's either innocent or he didn't mean to kill those people. Mm-hmm. That is completely insane. That is so beyond insane. They're like, hey, there's this guy's farm where he lives mostly remotely and they found a butt ton of bodies out there where and like a dildo shoved onto a gun. And then they're all like, he didn't do it. He didn't do it. <laughs> it's just it's just his farm that he lives nah, at. Like that doesn't he's prove totally anything. Innocent. That is completely insane. Exactly. So, our our pal Robert here decided to appeal. Uh, the BC Court of Appeal rendered judgment in June 2009 on two appeals, one brought by the Crown Prosecution and the other brought by the defense. On January 7, 2008, the attorney, attorney General filed an appeal in the British Columbia Court of Appeal against Picton's acquittals on the first-degree murder charges. The grounds of appeal relate to a number of evidentiary rulings made by the trial judge. Certain aspects of the trial judge's jury instructions and the ruling over or the ruling to sever the six charges Picton was tried on from the remaining 20. Some relatives of the victims in the case were taken aback by the announcement of the Crown Appeal, especially because Attorney General Wally Opal had said a few days earlier that the prosecution would likely not appeal. Although Picton had been acquitted on the first-degree murder charges, he was convicted of second-degree murder and received the same sentence as he would have on first-degree murder convictions. The relatives of the victims expressed concern that the convictions would be jeopardized if the Crown argued the trial mm -hmm. judge had made errors. That's very fair. Which yeah. is valid. Yeah. You know, they don't want him to go free. Um, opposition critic Leonard Krog criticized the Attorney General for not having briefed his victims' families in advance. Opal apologized to the victims' families for not informing them on the appeal before it was announced to the general public. Opal said that the appeal was filed largely for strategic reasons in anticipation of an appeal by the defense. The prosecution's rationale that was that if Picton appeals his convictions and if that appeal is allowed, resulting in a new trial, the prosecution will want to hold that new trial on the original 26 charges of first-degree murder. But the Crown would have been uh, uh, blocked from doing so unless it had successfully unless it had successfully appealed the original acquittals on the first-degree murder charges and the severance of the 26 counts into one group of six and one group of 20. 
So under the applicable rules of court, the time period for the Crown to appeal expired 30 days after December 9th when the verdicts were rendered, when that when the time period for the defense to appeal expired 30 days after December 11th when Picton was sentenced. That is why the Crown announced its appeal first, even though the Crown appeal is intended to be conditional on the appeal by the defense. If the defense had not filed an appeal, then the Crown could have withdrawn its appeal. So I feel like that was a really long way to say, like, they're just trying to be proactive. Yeah, I think that... It makes sense, though. It does make mm-hmm. sense. So, on January 9th, 2008, lawyers for Picton filed a notice of appeal in the British Columbia Court of Appeal, seeking a new trial on six counts of second-degree murder. The lawyer representing Picton on the appeal was Gil McKinnon, who had been a Crown prosecutor in the 1970s. The notice of appeal enamored various areas in which the defense alleged that the trial judge erred, the main charge to the jury, the response to the jurors' questions, amending the jury charge, similar fact mm-hmm. evidence, and picked in statements to the police. So the BC government court um, issued its decisions on June 25, 2009, but some parts of the decisions were not publicly mm-hmm. released because of the publication bans that were still in effect. So the court appeal dismissed the defense by a two to one majority due to a dissent on point of law. Picton was entitled to appeal to the Supreme Court of Canada without first seeking leave to appeal. His notice uh, was filed to the Supreme Court of Canada on August 24, 2009, and the Court of Appeal allowed the Crown appeal, finding that the trial judge erred, excluding some evidence in severing the 26 counts into one group of 20 counts and one group of six. The order resulting from which was from this finding was stayed, so the conviction on the six counts of second-degree murder would not be set aside. So, on June 26, 2009, Picton's lawyers confirmed that they would exercise his right to appeal to the Supreme Court of Canada, which was based on the dissent in the British Columbia Court of Appeal. When Picton had an automatic right to appeal, uh, based on the legal issues with Justice MacDonald, he had... His lawyers um, applied to the Supreme Court of Canada for a leave of appeal on other issues as well. On November 26, 2009, the Supreme Court of Canada granted his application. The effect of this was to broaden the scope of his appeal, allowing him to raise arguments that had been rejected unanimously, unanimously by the BC Court of Appeal, not just arguments that had been rejected by the two-to-one majority. And on July 30th, 2010, the Supreme Court rendered its decision dismissing Picton's appeal and affirming his convictions. The argument that Picton should be granted a new trial was unanimously rejected by the justices of the Supreme Court of Canada, and although unanimous in its result, the Supreme Court split 6 to 3 in its legal analysis of the case. The issue was whether the trial judge made the legal error in his instructions to the jury, and particularly in his re-instruction in providing the jury's question about Picton's liability if he was not the only person involved. Writing for the majority, Madame Justice Sharn 
found that the judge's response to the question posed by the jury did not adversely impact the fairness of the trial. She further found that the trial judge's overall instructions with respect to the other suspects um, captured the alternative routes to liability that were realistically an issue in his trial. The jury was also correctly instructed that it could convict Mr. Picton if the Crown provided this level of participation coupled with the requisite intent. So, um, basically, it was a very long process that kind of played out for a while, and, you know... I was going to say, that's some some decent court ping-pong going on there. There's a lot happening. He's in jail, and that's all that matters. But yes... Yep. Um, and yeah, that's basically him. He's currently in jail. Apparently, they were making a movie about him back in 20, 2016, our favorite year. Oh, okay. Our favorite year, but uh, I'm not sure how I feel about a movie being made about him. So yeah, it says in 2015, a film with the working title of Full Flood began production in Vancouver by CBC TV. Based on Stevie Cameron's book, on the farm, it was used. Um, it was to use the life experiences of Picton's victims for a fictional story about women in the downtown East Side who became victims of a serial killer. Picton was portrayed by Ben Cotton in the film, and in 2016, the film was released under the title "Unclaimed" or "On the Farm in Certain Markets." Oh, okay. Hmm. Well, there you have it, I guess. And he's not dead yet, is he? No, he's currently 70 years old, I believe. Mm. Well, there you he's have still it, alive. I guess. So wow, that's we. the story of the pig farmer killer. Yikes. You know, it's weird. Every time I hear it or, like, read about that story, it's almost like you learn something new. Like, or it's either that or there's just things that I choose to forget. But either way, still a very wild story. Yes. Very wild. Lots of court stuff. I wish, the only thing I wish is that I knew more about his early life because I feel like that's usually a big indicator of what's about to come. Oh, we definitely need more information about the Piggy Palace. But <laughs> that's the next episode, guys. Absolutely. But should we start yeah. wrapping up then? Mm hmm. All right. Well, let's wrap it up. Sweet. Let's well, wrap the shit up. well as you guys know you can follow us on facebook twitter instagram we do not have a tiktok yet but all of it would be under the handle of wheel of crime we also do have an email which is wheel of crime at gmail.com and we have a patreon as well which is under the wheel of crime podcast i believe that's everything unless i've forgotten something thank you to our patron andrew hey yo Yes, so far he's the only one. If you'd like to join them, you know where to find us. <laughs> come join the crew. Yeah, come join come us. Come hang. We're a, fun, we're a fun gang. But until come next hang week, out. this is Emily signing off. Bye. <laughs>